All right. Well, thank you, Coastline family, and uh, the the few people we have live in attendance. Those who are watching online, thank you guys for joining us for our monthly Signs of the Times discussion. This is where we uh, set aside a Thursday, the last Thursday of the month, to um, look at what the Bible has to say first and foremost uh, regarding um, Bible prophecy or, or things that are still to happen in in the future as we get nearer to Jesus' return, and then uh, talk about uh, current events happening in the world that, uh, as they may relate to those those Bible pro- prophecies that we see in Scripture. And so if you guys have been following us for a time, you know that what we try to do, or what we've been doing, I guess, through the last half this year is, um, I've been going doing a survey through the book of Daniel. Daniel is a book filled with Bible prophecy. A lot of it's still unfulfilled. So we've been getting a scriptural basis for what um, God says in his word uh, is going to happen in the future. And then we've been uh, doing a, like a roundtable discussion where we kind of talk about those things more in depth. Um, and we look at current events as they may relate to those things as we see the time of Jesus's return drawing near. Also, what we do is we take the time to answer any questions anyone might have because some of these things, um, they're not so clear when you read them at face value and it, they, 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 they're, it's well worth your time to dig in deeper, try to understand things. So with that, there is a phone number up on the screen, I believe, and that is our group text number um, where we send out group messages. And so if for some reason uh, you have a question, we really encourage you guys to send that in uh, by text. If you have my personal cell, you can send it to me too. Either way, we'll get it. And uh, we'll uh, we'll try to answer it the best we can, try to save some time at the end. But what we're going to do tonight is, um, if you just a recap, last month, uh, basically I taught through the entire chapter of Daniel 7. Daniel 7 being um, another future or another chapter that has prophecy in it, a chunk of that prophecy being uh, in the future still, yet being fulfilled. And just to give you a recap of what was in it, um, Daniel, he's uh, an Israelite that's been taken away to Babylon in captivity. And um, the Lord's favors on him. He's, he's kind of in, in an elevated place. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon's kingdom, because one of the reasons, he's one of his wise men, and he's able to interpret his deep dreams. We saw in Daniel 2, uh, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream of this great statue and it, and it was symbolic or it represented, uh, basically the dreams interpreted by God in scripture for Daniel. And it's, it was representative of four world empires in the world. One of them was Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon's. And then the next one that would conquer them, uh, the Mede Persian empire. And then the next one that would conquer them, the Greek empire. And then this, this last world empire, the Roman empire, which basically, would fall, but a new empire would come out of that, a still-to-come empire in the future that we haven't seen yet. And so in Daniel 7, we see Daniel be given a different vision, and it's in between King Nebuchadnezzar's and King Belshazzar's reign, uh, the, the following king after Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And he's given this vision of four beasts. And what we saw in that chapter was those four beasts uh, represented for the same four kingdoms or the same four empires that we saw in Daniel 2. It was just from God's perspective. 
Whereas to Nebuchadnezzar, it was this great, awesome statue made out of these precious metals. To God, they were these ferocious beasts because of the destruction they would cause on earth. And so we are going to spend most of the time tonight talking about the fourth beast in more detail. Um, because the fourth beast has to do with this, uh, this empire that's going to rise out of what used to be the Roman Empire. And there's... Um, Ten or two specific. Well, let me go ahead. Let me just read what we're going to talk about tonight, and then we'll talk about it in more detail. So, this is I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. This is Daniel chapter seven, and this is where he's wanting to know more about this beast, and then God gives him an interpretation of what the beast is. It says in verse 19, "Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth." Of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, that being Jesus. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High in the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, so the previous kingdom or the, the initial kingdom was the Roman Empire, but out of it are going to come these ten horns which are ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them and he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time or basically one year, two years and another half year. So three and a half years. And so... That's that section I taught through in more detail. You know, we're not going to go through it in complete detail tonight. Um, just kind of hit some specific things. So I encourage you, if you weren't here when we taught through Daniel 7, you, you want to go there first because we always want to start with what the Word of God says and then kind of talk about it from there. And um, there's obviously uh, multiple sections of Scripture that talk about these this coming world empire, these ten horns or these ten kings and this little horn or this uh, this king basically known as the Antichrist that's going to come out of this uh, this kingdom or this empire run by these ten kings. Um, it's talked about in multiple places in Scripture. Revelation 13 and Revelation uh, 17 are two of the places that I read that also cover this. And so um, that's why we're going to spend tonight talking about those those things specifically. Basically, what the Bible says about this coming empire that's going to be run by these ten kings and this the, the ten horns or this little horn so that we can be first and foremost clear on what scripture tells us about these things so we don't have to wonder and then we'll talk about some current events we see in the world that are kind of leading to this because it hasn't come yet we haven't seen anything like this through history so uh, the way we're going to start is Marcus well actually let's go ahead and pray first um, uh, Eric you want to pray for us I always pray so. Father, we uh, thank you for this time that uh, we have tonight to study your word. Uh, 
And we thank you that you have uh, given us everything we need to know in your word pertaining to life and godliness. And um, whatever's not in there, Lord, we don't need to know. And um, so tonight, we just pray that as we read it, as we um, just give the sense of it and um, talk about it together, Lord, I pray that you would um, be teaching us. I pray that you would be teaching those who are listening and watching. And um, Lord, I pray for uh, some great questions. If people have questions, that they would just, that you would be uh, putting them in people's mind. They'd have the I guess the courage to, to ask or whatever. And if there are questions, Lord, that you would grant us, um, the ability to know how to answer them. Um, we, but we know that, Lord, at the end of the day, you are the answer to all of our questions. And so we just commit our time to you tonight. We commit, um, the service to you and we ask that you would lead us and teach us in Jesus name. Amen. Am I on? There we go. Okay. So, uh, just to introduce these guys, if you don't know, Marcus Handy is our, our elder, our youth pastor. Eric is one of our elders, um, leads our men's Bible study. So I ask these guys to join me tonight to uh, help spread the, the wealth of God's word. So, And that's what you're going to hear, just the wealth of God's word coming from their mouth. So um, we're going to start with uh, Marcus, and I asked him to focus just on these these ten horns, these ten kings, this this coming world empire kingdom that... We haven't seen established yet and what scripture says about that so we can know and have that firm foundation of of what it's going to look like when it does come based off of what God's word says. Amen. So, um, yeah, so as Chris said, my task was to just basically mine the scripture and find out what does the word say about these ten kings. And Chris already made the point that these ten kings, these ten horns are associated with this fourth beast, this revived Roman Empire. Um, and, uh, in the original teaching, like Chris said, he did a real good job of, uh, connecting the visions in, um, Daniel seven to Daniel two. So I'm not going to redo that part. Um, but what, what, what does the scripture say about the 10 Kings? Um, so we know the 10 King or the 10 horns or 10 Kings, right? That was, that was very explicit there in, uh, verse uh, 24 of Daniel 7, it says, as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise. So what is the nature of these 10 kings? What can we get out of scripture? We know they're connected to the, to this fourth beast. And so I'm going to jump to uh, a different passage of scripture. Um, because it's been said that Daniel is the key that unlocks revelation. Revelation is the key that unlocks Daniel. It's, it's a way of understanding prophecy is, well, the Bible, right? We use certain parts of the Bible to understand other parts of the Bible, especially as regards to prophecy, because prophecy is kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. There's bits and pieces of it everywhere turned around, and we don't get the whole thing. Um, but we can line some stuff up, right? If you're putting together a puzzle, you, you try to get the edge pieces. And then you, if you, you know, if you have a sense that there's, you know, flowers in one area, you, you put all the flower pieces together and pretty soon you're, you're starting to make connections. And essentially that's what we're doing with, with scripture. So, um, Chris mentioned, uh, Revelation chapter 13. And so, um, I'm going to turn there and just read that real quick and just point out a few things that uh, it's a place where we can make a connection. Like like I said, with that jigsaw puzzle, we're seeing things that are similar 
Um, and uh, so here I go. I'm going to read Revelation 13, um, the first couple of verses. So it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. So there's those ten horns again. And just like these other um, kingdoms that we've we've talked about already in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, these are uh, kingdoms of the Gentile world, right? These are Gentile world powers. And it says, um, with ten diadems on its horns. So diadems, the idea there is a crown. So uh, crown implies authority, implies a, a ruler, right? So here we have ten kings on, on these ten horns. And it says, and there's blasphemous names on its heads. And it gives a description of the beast, how it's, um, it's like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave his power and throne great authority. So I don't want to steal Eric. Eric's going to focus on the little horn. So I'm going to kind of, um, skip down. Just, we see another, um, we see another picture. Just let me just point out some of the things that I already read. Ten horns again. So here we have another picture of the same beast. It's got ten horns. We're given more information. It actually has seven heads. And the seven heads are a little bit confusing. So, and I actually wasn't asked to cover that. So I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to cover that. Um, but it has ten diadems on its horns. Again, picturing authority. So rule, right? And if you skip down to verse five, it says the beast was, um, Given authority to exercise authority for forty, are given allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. So there's a limited time which the the beast and these ten kings that are that have authority along with it are allowed to reign, rule and reign on earth. So that's that's all I wanted to really get out of this chapter. But if you turn a few more pages to Revelation 17, we'll get a little bit more information about. Um, about these horns, as we read um, this passage it, in my Bible, Bible, it's it's titled "The Great Prostitute and the Beast." And here's another picture of that same beast, um, but the beast is being ridden by a woman uh, who is is um, pictured as this prostitute. And it says in verse 5 of, of Revelation 17, Babylon the great, the mother of prostitutes, and the earth's abominations. So she's riding this beast. Um, verse 3, just to make sure that we're making the connection, this is the same beast. Um, in the vision, it says, He carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So clearly the same beast as we just read about in Revelation 13, and again it has the ten horns, so that's how we're making that connection. The ten horns are ten kings, we've established that, and it actually repeats that again in verse 12 of, of Revelation 17. So if you skip down to verse 12, it says, And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but are to receive authority as kings for one hour with the beast. So again, there's a limited time these guys have power, but they're going to receive power with the beast. So the beast speaks of the system, but it also speaks of the ruler of the system, which is Antichrist, right? So if you if you read the very next verse, it says these, that is the kings, these are of one mind, so they're in agreement, they're working together, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So they're on they're on the beast's team, the beast in the sense of the one world empire, 
but also in the sense of the ruler, the ultimate ruler of the one world empire, which is the Antichrist. So these guys, they're bad guys. These are bad kings. <laughs> to, to make it real simple. Um, um, one thing I wanted to point out though, in spite of their apparent unity or their attempts to have unity, if you flip back, this is the jigsaw puzzle analogy because I knew I was going to have to do some page flipping. But if you flip back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 41 through 43, it makes it clear that the kings will have trouble keeping it together. Let me just read that text here. So even though they are unified in the, that they're serving this beast, they're unified in the sense that they want, they're handing their power and authority over to the beast, it's not necessarily going to be... Um, <laughs> perfect in the way that things are working together. So this is Daniel's description of the fourth kingdom. And it says, uh, starting in verse 41, and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix um, one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. So that shouldn't be too hard to believe a confederacy of different people, of different Gentile nations. They're trying to make something work real hard, but they got different ideas. They got different cultural ways of thinking about things and try as they might. Um, I guess what I want to point out is that man can never achieve any unity apart from Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, they have this idea. They, they have that they're going to serve this evil ruler. They're going to give over their power. And they're going to try their hardest, but they're not going to be able to um, achieve any unity. Because when you're in rebellion to the Lord, <laughs> you're going to have problems with other people. That's just, that is a symptom of the sinful heart of man. When your submission to the Lord that's when the Lord allows you to have peace with uh, the people around you. So um, the final point I want to make uh, before I kind of make a, a connections about these ten horns, and I hate to do this to you, but we're going to flip back to <laughs> Revelation chapter 17. Um, we're turning these pieces in the jigsaw puzzle here. Uh, but in verse 14, it says this, They will make war on the Lamb... And the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. So these kings are going to be, yes, they're going to be following the Antichrist, and they're going to be actively making war on uh, the Lord, on the saints. They're going to be fighting against his rule. But they're going to be conquered. And so there's, there's not any, uh, there's, no, there's no victory for these guys. This actually perfectly connects to um, Daniel chapter 2 where the the stone that was not cut uh, rolls down and strikes the the image. You, know, you guys remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this mighty idol with a gold head, um, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. This uncut stone comes down, strikes the feet, and the whole statue breaks up into chaff and isn't found anymore, and this mountain grows and covers the whole earth. So we have we have the victory of the rock of ages. You know, we have the victory of Jesus Christ, the solid rock on which we stand over the kingdoms of mankind. Um, and there is also um, 
a parallel event in, in Daniel 7. So the same kind of thing happens. Um, the the one like the Son of Man was led before the Ancient of Days, it says in Daniel 7. He was given a kingdom and dominion and glory um, that will not be taken away, will last forever. So these are parallel events that connect these sections of Scripture. I think that's just important. A lot of people, get they like to argue about, well, is it the same beast, the same thing? We have parallel events in each passage that, that, that tie these things together, as well as other things which Chris pointed out, so not to belabor the same things, but... Um, do you guys have anything you want to say? Because I was going to talk a little bit about uh, the Roman Empire and the EU and stuff. Okay. I just, I just want to say I really like what you said about the pieces of the puzzle. How, I mean, we've probably all done a puzzle at some point in our life, and we know it can be a little confusing. I see, yeah, Pax in there, you've done a puzzle, buddy. Right on. They're kind of hard, huh? Yeah, so you have to figure it out. Like Marcus says, you put the edge pieces in and you say, okay, I think this goes here, I think this goes here. But the more you get done, the more pieces you get, you start to see more and it becomes something that's understandable. And it just, when he said that, it made me think of when Jesus would teach in parables to the people. And he said, he would, he said this several times. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I, th- I think the reason Jesus taught in parables sometimes they weren't super easy to understand sometimes. It took a little bit of thinking. like, And there's probably some people who are like, what is this guy talking This is weird. I'm out of here. You know, I can't. He's not talking, you know, plain to me. I, you know, forget this. And they would just, they would miss the point. They would miss what he was trying to teach. They would miss Jesus. They would miss the Lord. But the people who gave it thought, the people who, tried to put it together be like, man, no, I think this is what he's talking about. And they'd ask him questions. Hey, what did you mean by this? You know, it was hard to figure out. And I think the same is true of these things. Some of us are probably listening to this or sitting there and going, this is just too hard. What's the point of this? Why should we, you know, but God has, I believe, put all the pieces in here for us to put together so that those of us who have the ears to hear, i.e., We'll put the effort into putting the pieces together. He was, he's going to give us revelation of what these things mean and bring clarity and bring peace. And we'll see the beautiful picture of God's plan rather than just being like, this stuff's just way too hard. I can't even handle this right now, which is, I've been there before. I mean, like it, it can be overwhelming, but I think the Lord would just tell us those who have ears to hear, let him hear tonight these things. So. Yeah, and, and actually, uh, I was going to start talking about the the uh, the fourth beast and stuff, but I think maybe I'll just wait. Um, I was thinking, I just talked about these horns, and we kind of touched on this little horn that is in there, and maybe it's just more natural for you to talk about the little horn at this point instead of instead of me launching this. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to probably let Marcus carry me on the whole current events thing because I'm I don't think I'm as connected with the modern society as these two, but. <laughs> I didn't say that. um, So what I'd like to talk about is the little horn specifically. Marcus, um, you know, gave us an idea of what these ten horns are. And um, what we know about this, okay, what I want to look at is just what it says in the scriptures here. And... um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to start a little bit backwards. I'm going to start in verse eight, actually, at the tail end of verse eight. I'm going to call it verse eight B. And in Daniel chapter seven, verse eight. So what do we know about this little horn? We know that the fourth beast is a kingdom, which is been, uh, told to us in verse 24. The ten horns are kings that have risen out of this. And uh, at the tail end of verse 8 here, it says that this little horn, which rose up among the ten horns, is given the eyes of a man and the mouth, and a mouth. Okay, and then also in verse 24, it reveals to us that um, ten kings shall rise and another shall rise after him. So the first thing to know is this is pretty basic from verse 8, is that the little horn is a king. It's a man, okay? And um, this w- this is, interpretation of this is given to Daniel by someone who's in this vision, presumably an angel, some sort of heavenly being. Now, at the first part of verse 8, I'd just like to point out um, that uh, the rise of this little horn, the rise of this king, is going to bring the fall of three of the original ten horns. Marcus talked about this a little bit. Um, and then also in verse 20, it says three of them fell uh, in the interpretation here. As this little horn springs up, rises up, three of the original ten horns are uprooted. And uh, basically what we take this to mean is that uh, when this king, when this ruler rises to power, He's going to put down three other kings in some way, shape, or form. Maybe there might be some kind of argument, maybe a battle, maybe it'll be a war, maybe he'll just exercise authority over them, or it could be just the three of these kings will just be like, well, if you're going to be, you know, one of us and we're just going to back out, you know, but some way, shape, or form, the rise of this ruler is going to bring the demise of three others. And, um, He's going to subdue others or put down others in order to rise to power. That's something that we know about this little horn or this this king. Um, again, in verse the tail end of verse eight and verse eleven, something else we know about this little horn or this king that's going to rise is it says that he speaks great things, and. Um, this could be translated, um, it's also translated arrogantly. He speaks arrogant things. He speaks boastfully or he speaks pompous things. Another little factoid we can pick up about this guy is that he is full of pride. And that when he speaks, um, he basically tells everybody about how smart he is, about how great he is, about how he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And, you know, he's better than everybody else. He's full of pride. And also later on, we'll see he speaks against God himself. So he's, this guy's full of pride. He thinks he's pretty cool. Now, um, something else that we can know about the little horn or this, this ruler is in verse 20. I think it's at the tail end of verse 20. I'm going to read it here. The other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. So what we read here in verse 20 is that 
this little horn is greater than the rest of the horns. And um, there's something about this king, something about this leader that's going to stand out from the rest. We don't know what it is. We don't know. It doesn't say here what it is, but as Daniel is seeing this vision and having it interpreted to him, he sees this little horn and he's like, there's just something greater about this guy. There's something different. And then uh, I said different there. In verse 24, again, it's sort of, it says this. It says, he shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. So there's something fundamentally different, fundamentally greater about this particular king. He's different. He's greater. Maybe he'll be um, more appealing to the world. Maybe there'll be something different about him where people will be like, oh, man, this guy's great. This guy's awesome, you know. Or maybe there'll be something more fearful, maybe a little more sinister. People will be afraid of him, and they will submit to him out of fear. Whatever it is, he's going to be greater and different than these other kings. And it was noticeable to Daniel. I believe it's going to be noticeable to people who are living during this time when this king rises to power. And also, yeah, he's just he's going to rise to power more than any other king in that time. So he's going to rise above. He'll be different. Okay, something else we can get from the scriptures here about this guy is in verse 21. Um, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Okay, so something else we know is that he's going to be hostile towards and an enemy of those who believe in and follow God. This little horn, he's going to, whether, and you know, at the time this was written in, uh, when Daniel was writing this, you know, this, this, this could have meant, well, this was specifically maybe for like the nation Israel, the saints, the God's chosen people. Um, but we know from the New Testament that um, in the kingdom of God, there's no, there's, you know, Jew or Gentile. It's like if you, we are in the members of the kingdom of God by our faith in Christ. So when I, when it says the saints of the most high, I believe this is talking about anyone who wants to follow God, anyone who believes in God, has put their faith in Christ. This leader, this one who rises up, is going to be hostile towards them. And like Marcus pointed out, he's actually going to prevail over them um, for a time. Or he will seemingly gain control and prevail over them for this certain amount of time, three and a half years. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High. There's something else we know about the little horn or this king is that not only is he going to be an enemy of the saints of God, an enemy of those who believe in God, he's going to be an enemy of God himself. And not he's not just going to stop at persecuting or oppressing Christians, Jews, whatever it might be. Um, he's literally going to speak against God himself. Uh, this kind of reminds me of this verse in Second Thessalon- Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 4, it says, this is speaking of the Antichrist, it says, He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This kind of fits the bill, right? He's 
full of pride. He's hostile towards those who believe in God. He's hostile towards God. And he's openly opposing God and everything about him. Something else, again from verse 25, there's a couple things out of this verse. It says he's going to wear out the saints. So basically, um, this could be translated also, he's going to oppress the saints. He's going to persecute them. He's going to wear them down. Again, whoever is a believer or follower of God at this time will be persecuted to the point of utter despair. And um, and then it says he's going to think to change the times and the law. I'm not sure what this means. This is where <laughs> this is where uh, that that whole thing where it's like. Um, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. This is where I'm like listening. I'm like, okay, what does this mean? I'm putting the pieces together. Here's what this could mean, what I think this might mean. This guy who is full of pride, who is going to exalt himself above everything else, he's going to, um, he's going to be different. He's going to be more powerful. He's going to rise to this place of global power. Evidently, is going to have a mind to, he's going to have this idea to, he's going to want to change the times and the law. So, I, I think what this means is just a fundamental change in maybe the calendar, maybe just how we tell time. I think of um, just reading this at face value, um, B.C. and A.D., right? How we tell what year it is. Before Christ, B.C. and Anno Domini, which is a Latin phrase that means the year of our Lord, was a a very deciding point in time, right? Just the fundamental way of we tell time. So maybe he's going to try to do something different, like, oh, well, I'm God now, and I'm, you know, he's going to proclaim some different calendar. Maybe. Um, could be what this is referring to is a, a change in calendar in an attempt to suppress the Jewish religion by frustrating the calendar by which they observe their feasts, fasts, etc. Um, so basically, um, the, the Jews would, observe, they have different feasts and things they observe according to the calendar. And could be referring to that. He's just going to change the times so that they are literally not able to observe these you know, religious times that they have. And also when it says law, it probably could be referring to the Mosaic Law. He's either going to um, just abolish it, he's going to change it, add to it, take away from it. We don't know. We just don't know. But it says he's going to have a mind to do these things, change these fundamental things. Can I add, add something right there real yeah, quick? I just want to add, there is a passage in Daniel 9 that we'll go in more detail when we get to it, but I referenced this when I went through Daniel 7 because what, what um, the... The, the point Eric's talking about, there's some different ideas and trains of thoughts on, can't know exactly what it means, but along the lines of what he's saying in Daniel 9.27, it does tell us that the ruler, speaking of the Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, uh, but after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. It's talking about Jewish people, because we have to remember this is Daniel speaking to a Jewish audience, if you will, like it's prophecy to those that have been exiled. So it does tell us that at some point this this Antichrist is going to try to put an end to all their sacrifices and offerings 
basically what they're required to do under the law. So that that's where, you know, like that train of thought is thinking that in at least some way that's what he's talking about, that he is going to interfere with the times and the laws of the Jewish people. Go ahead. I just wanted to add that. There's this, this quote I read from the – it's out of the Benson commentary, but it says, changing and appointing fasts and feasts, canonizing saints – granting pardons and indulgences for sin, instituting new modes of worship, imposing new articles of faith, and joining new rules of practice, coexist. Mm. <laughs> and reversing at pleasure the laws of God and man. So basically, this guy's just going to pretty much do whatever he wants. He's just going to say, I'm in charge, I'm the guy, I know what, to, I'm better than everybody else, here's what I, what, whatever I say goes is essentially what it seems like this is painting the picture of. <clears throat> and then finally here, again in verse 25, at the tail end of it, it says, and they shall be given into his hand. And also I think this, this, uh, I'm glad you said that, Chris, because I think this kind of backs it up as it says, He's going to wear out the saints of the Most High, in which we know this is a Jewish audience for this, for which this book was written. And then think to change the times in the law. And then he says, they shall be given into his hand. Well, that think to change the times in the law, I don't think is sandwiched between those two verses for no reason. I think it's there for reason to, because it corresponds to the saints and that how they shall be given into his hand. And that changing of the times in the law has something to do with that. But anyways, it says they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time, which we know to be three and a half years. And so, as Chris and Marcus already touched on, is that this is a very strong argument that this is referring to this seven-year period of the Great Tribulation, and this is half of that time. And we know that halfway through that Great Tribulation that the Antichrist is going to stand up in the temple of God and declare that he himself is God and demand that he be worshipped. And so when we look at this time, time and a half time, and the other things we know about the little horn, who he is, what he does, and how that corresponds with the Antichrist in Revelation 13, the little horn is probably the Antichrist. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't say here that, you know, the little horn is the Antichrist, but when we're putting these pieces of the puzzle together, it's really hard not to come to that conclusion. And there, you know, there are other interpretations where people have said, well, this little horn, he was a ruler back then, and he was this guy and that guy, and he did this to the Jewish people and that. And people, there are some interpretations that believe that all this is past and none of this is, um, prophecy that has not yet come to pass. There's people that say, well, this has already happened way back and, and whenever. But I think the biggest argument for this is that, um, here in verse 27, uh, the biggest argument against that interpretation, I should say, is it says, The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. And I, I just I don't see that happening. I don't think that's happened quite yet. <laughs> and that's what's supposed to happen at the end of this, at, after these things happen. So 
That's why I take this to be predictive prophecy of the little horn being the Antichrist. And these are just some of the things, you know, directly out of the scriptures that we can say, maybe not to identify who he is, because I think that's what we all tend to want to do, right? Man, who's the Antichrist? Well, could it be this guy, this guy, this guy? These, I guess, are characteristics of who this king will be, not necessarily how to identify him personally, but how to identify him through his character, I guess you could say. So, and then just to kind of, to close out my thoughts is that I just really like reading throughout this chapter is the emphasis on the presence of God, the presence of uh the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, the presence of this heavenly court convening in judgment. You know, even when Daniel asked for the interpretation, he says, I approached the one who stood there and I was like, hey, what's the truth? What's what's this vision all about? And he told me and he said, you know, the four great beasts are the four kings, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. He's like, it's almost like he starts to begin to tell him about what the vision means, but he's like, no, no, but, but don't worry about it. You know, the saints win in the end, you know, and just peppered throughout the whole chapter is this emphasis on how the kingdom of heaven is going to prevail. It's pretty encouraging. One thing, one thing I was just going to add to that, um, you know, just along the lines of, you know, why, you know, I, I think sometimes we, we can we can see people like in in the world today and go like, whoa, that guy. <laughs> it's like if anyone's going to be the Antichrist, it's going to be that guy just fits all the bills and stuff like that. But why we don't want to spend too much time doing that is because we know for a fact from Second Thessalonians chapter two that he will not be revealed until the tribulation starts. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter two, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered together to him. So that's the context of what he's about to say. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Basically, he's saying there were people that were saying like, oh, Jesus already come or he's already here. This has already happened. This is all history. All right. And he's saying, no, no, don't believe that. He's saying, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Basically what Eric was just pointing out, that it was telling us there in Daniel 7 that he's going to do, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming uh the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved 
Therefore, God sends a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I'm a firm believer in obviously there's some different different thoughts on this, but that one who restrains, like what's restraining this lawless one? What's restraining the Antichrist from coming? Well, if it's the church that is going to be raptured, it's going to be taken away uh, at the beginning of this tribulation, at the beginning of this rebellion, when this man of lawlessness is revealed, I feel firmly that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one because God's people on this earth are acting in his power to proclaim his good news so that as many people can come to be saved as possible. And basically, at that point when we're um, caught up to be with him, it, it, it will be that point where it says here that at that point, everyone else will have refused the truth. Basically, only God knows that. But at that point, no one else would have been saved without what comes after that re- revealing enough truth to them that they do get saved. And so... Because um, God's desire is none shall perish and also come to repentance. So at that point, the rapture will happen. The restrainer will be gone because the Holy Spirit will be gone until people start getting saved in the tribulation. And that's when this lawless, lawless one, the, the, the Antichrist, will be revealed. He will be on earth before that time, most assuredly. But nobody will know who he is. He won't reveal himself for who he is, you know, according to these details that we see in Scripture until after that point so we can guess away as much as we want but i firmly believe we won't be here to see who it is so uh, it's one of those things like how much time do you really want to spend on that you know there's better things our, our commission while we're here is to preach the good news not try to figure out who the antichrist is so um just wanted to add that my two cents on that so did you have something marcus yeah i was gonna say that's a perfect segue into um just uh i will kind of wanted to to go back to this verse here, unless there's some questions that you... No, I, I think that, that there was a question, will the church be raptured prior to the little horn taking power? And I think that answered that, that question, hopefully. Good, yeah, um, it's a good question. If so, which saints does he prevail over? There will be people, um, according to Revelation, that do get saved, including Jews, um, in the tribulation period, and those will be the saints that he's allowed to prevail over in the sense that um, people will have to take a mark to follow him. And if they refuse to do that, they're refusing to worship him, they'll be killed for their refusal, for their faith in Jesus. And so prevailed in the sense that they will be killed, their bodies will be killed, but they will be with the Lord in heaven. So they're not really losing in the end. It does say that in Revelation. I don't know the exact it's verse, actually, but... It's actually interesting. It says in verse 22 of Daniel 7... Uh, well, sorry, starting in verse 21. The horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. That's bad, right? We're like, oh, dang. Verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So when this tribulation period comes, when the Antichrist comes to power, yes, there are going to be people who have been witnessed to on this earth probably Maybe some people that were like, man, you got to accept Christ. And they're like, nah, I don't think so. Whatever. Well, then when all this stuff starts to happen, they're going to be like, holy smokes, Dave was right. I do need to get saved. Uh And they'll, they'll believe in Jesus, but it'll be during this tribulation period. It'll be after the rapture happens. And then rather than taking the mark, 
as Chris explained, they will be, and as the scriptures say, be prevailed over their bodies, right? And I, I, I don't know chapter and verse, but in Revelation it, it says, uh, you know, that talks about the tribulation saints where they're under the altar and they're like, you know, how long, Lord? And he says, ah, oh, a little more. And, you know, there'll be vengeance taken or something to that effect. But it's an interesting connection here where there's this war against the saints, but then judgment was given. And, um, and then the saints possess the kingdom. It's the same type of narrative in Revelation where there's these saints that are killed, but then judgment is given and victory comes for them in the same kind of connection way we've been talking about. So, uh, we're getting, we're getting a, the side question is, uh, is the Holy Spirit here on this earth after, um, uh, the, uh, the rapture happens, basically God's people. So I think that to answer that, well, we don't know exactly for sure. It doesn't really specifically say the Holy, I mean, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. I guess I would answer that. But we do see that in the Old Testament, before Jesus died on the cross, the Holy Spirit's role was very different than the the church uh, in that the Holy Spirit came and went as God willed, you know, upon people. And um, through faith in Jesus, we all have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So that's very different. So how it's going to be in the, the, the um, uh, tribulation period it doesn't specifically say uh, exactly how that's going to happen, but I, I would guess that the Holy Spirit, I mean, because that's how we, in a sense, serve the Lord and do the things he asks, will operate, you know, like basically. So that would be my assumption, but it's not very specific on that. Yeah, and there will be, um, but there will be a, a time period, like I said, where that restrainer, if it, that's in fact, like I believe it is talking about the Holy Spirit, will be gone completely when every believer is raptured because for the rapture is going to be for anyone that's placed their faith in Jesus. So for that time period between then and more people getting saved in the tribulation, there will be a time period where nobody is on this earth with the Holy Spirit inside of them. Your wife's giving... Where was, where was that? Yeah, I was just going to agree with Chris. I mean, it's like, um, right, we have our three Greek prepositions. That's our biblical understanding of how the Holy Spirit operates. Para and an epi, right? Para alongside the convict of sin. N means indwelling. That's what we have when we're believers. Ephesians one thirteen. You were sealed with the Spirit of Promise when you first believed, right? And then there's epi, which is the overflow it, in, in Acts and other places in the, the Old Testament. Although it's not written in Greek, but it was it was to be overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And like Chris pointed out, the Holy Spirit could come upon someone or they could be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's this demonstrative anointing for a specific task like leadership, like David in the Old Testament says, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Right after he'd sinned, he was worried that the Lord was going to remove his, just like he did with Saul, right? He departed, the Lord departed from Saul. So there, there is a different influence, but I think just to agree with what Chris was saying, there's going to be like a time of a, of a vacuum where the Holy Spirit is uh, in, in the believers, the indwelt Holy Spirit globally in the believers is removed. And then all of a sudden, you get a flood of evil. Um, I, I, I don't know, this might be a little tenuous, so if you disagree with me, that's fine, but uh, when, when, when a lot of churches shut down for corona, I mean, shortly after we had the George Floyd thing, cities were burning, there was just chaos, and and in some ways, and I hope I'm not 
conflating two things or making a false equivalence, but I, I, I think maybe it could be something like that. All of a sudden, you have this, you have the cessation of worship, you have the cessation of of people that are holding back evil, um, that are encouraging people to do right. Uh, the, the the work of the saints on the earth is all of a sudden gone, and so the Holy Spirit that restrains evil through the saints, but also as he comes alongside that, that work uh, is going to cease for a time. And, and you're going to have, I mean, if you think of it like football, if all of a sudden the defensive team leaves the field, you know, the, the other team's going to start running touchdowns. I mean, that's, what's going to, that, that, that is kind of a, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's my understanding of, of how will the Holy Spirit be gone for a time, I mean, like like Chris said, he's he's God, so he's present everywhere. But but his his work of restraining evil will cease through the saints, and so you're going to see evil run rampant. Um, but obviously, he has to still be present because he's God; he's present everywhere. And we're going to see people get saved. We know that that's a work of the Spirit, right? So I guess I would I would say it's was, it was a temporary cessation of of the restraining work of the Spirit through the saints and. And the enemy's going to run touchdowns. <laughs> Romans 8, verse 9 says, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Bible tells us that there's going to be saints during the tribulation period who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it also says anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. So I'd have to say that there has to be some form of the Holy Spirit, at the very least, indwelling in each believer during the tribulation time. Now, I'd also have to agree with Marcus in that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in different ways, in different times. And um, during that time, I think that restraining force, as Marcus explained, um, is clearly, it's not going to be restraining any longer, whatever, you know, whatever that means. But I do think um, the presence of the Holy Spirit will still be residing in the believer in order to, I mean, we can't do anything without the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. I would say, uh, even in today's world, I have a hard time doing anything that's worth anything without the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. And living through the tribulation period, um, we know they're going to need an extra measure of power and strength from the Spirit to get through that time. So I would say, short answer, yes and no. And, and I'd also <laughs> say that, you know, to some degree... What we see is like the age we're living in right now is what the Bible tells us is the age of grace. It's the church age. Like God's desire is that, you know, as many people will believe in him will be saved right now. But the tribulation is clearly an age of judgment. Like as far as like nobody's going to be able to escape God's judgment. And and that's why I, I fully believe like where it says also in First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians about how we're not appointed to wrath, like God's people aren't appointed to wrath, well, his wrath is coming down on earth. And and people still have the opportunity to believe in Jesus and be saved, but there's a, a different, um, if you will, focus that's happening during that time because up to that point, basically, and, and God is the only one that knows this, that that everyone that would receive that grace has received that grace. And now you're going into this period of where 
the only people left going into it are people that have chosen to reject that grace and not receive the free gift of salvation. So truly, it's a time of God's judgment and wrath coming down this earth. Him knowing that in, in his great mercy that some people still will, re- that's what it takes for those people to receive God's grace and be, you know, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be saved. But even at that, you see people knowing where that judgment and wrath come, coming from in the book of Revelation, and they're still basically spitting in God's face, like cursing him, because they're so blind, they're so arrogant, they're so prideful, they're like, no, I'm better off on my own, and I curse you, even though I know that I'm wrong in my sin. Like, they just won't admit it. So, so the whole point of that was the work of the Holy Spirit is, you know, like, to some degree even though I agree exactly with what Eric's saying, like, if you're of the Lord, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But there's a very different work the Bible shows is going on in, from the, with right now during the church age than during that age. People still can get saved because God's merciful right up until the end. He gives everyone the chance to receive him. But um, there's a different means that's being used to get people to that point during the tribulation that's going on right now. Amen. And praise the Lord, nobody has to go through that. It's If you go into that that season, it's because of your choice to, to basically reject God. Yeah. Do you guys um, want to talk about kind of the direction of, do we see any indicators? Is that, or do you have any more questions? I was thinking... I don't have any more questions. Or is there uh, something else you if want you, to... If you, anyone wants verses for the tribulation saints, go to Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Um, your wife pointed that out. That's a good verse. Good job, that, honey. That, if we just or, keep talking, there'll probably be more questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, we have just kind of some of the current events to talk about, but did you want to cover this? Yeah, I did. I wanted to kind of do a lead-in to current events. Uh, we talked about the fourth beast and how it was this revived Roman Empire. We made connections between... Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 to support that. And Chris did a great job uh, when he taught um, on Daniel 7 earlier. Um, but I just want I did want to talk about that a little bit, um, kind of the history of the Roman Empire. And, we'll, and you might say, well, hey, you know, Marcus, they got sacked by barbarians, right? The Roman Empire fell in 476 AD. So, I mean, <laughs> where's it at? It's kind of interesting. I did some, I did some, uh, some just investigating on, um, the the Roman Empire and the European Union and a lot of commentators have made a connection between the two and I found some stuff that was kind of interesting so since the Roman Empire fell in 476 AD there's been several nations that have viewed themselves as called uh, transliterati imperii meaning transfer of rule they tried to claim uh, the the mantle uh, of authority that came with the Roman Empire or Renovatio Imperii, they they claimed they wanted to restore the empire, right? Those are Latin terms. And some of those things have been uh, the Frankish Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, uh, Napoleon had his designs on doing the same thing, and then Hitler's Third Reich. They were all kind of motivated by this idea of reunifying Europe, uh, reestablishing the glory, the form of the lost glory of the Roman Empire. And, and, um, actually, today's European Union, um, they kind of trace their roots to this idea of, you know, Europe's going to be better if we can come together. 
in uh, post World War II, um, uh, there's there's an event that sort of can be considered the birth of the EU. It happened on May 8th, 1948, at the Hague Congress, where the European International Movement and College of Europe, where they wanted to get all the European leaders together and sort of train them the same types of thinking. That's kind of like the the foundation of um, the same idea of restoring the the the, the glory and the prosperity, the um, the the dominance of Europe, and. Um, not so coincidentally, uh, the nation of Israel was reestablished May 4th, 1948. So within days of an, each other, you've got these movements. To, you've, well, you get the reestablishment of Israel, right? Fulfillment of prophecy um, in Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 7, I think, where it says, can a nation be born in a day? I want to say it's 714. I could be wrong. But, but then within days, you have the what could be the beginnings of the revived uh, Roman Empire coming back together. And so, um, what I was thinking is, you know, is there, what Chris pointed out was 100% biblically correct when he says we're not going to see this Antichrist guy until, you know, after the rapture. I mean, we're not going to be here to see him, so let's not waste time. But we can see the direction of the world heading that way, right? We went to a prophecy conference, I think, last year, and one of the speakers said, we can see the events of the tribulation casting a shadow over the end of the church age. I thought that was really, really cool way of putting it. And so, are there are there headlines or events that sort of um, that seem or, or foreshadow or, or or heading the direction of fulfilling these prophecies uh, to give us a sense of the signs of the times? You know, to I guess make us. Uh, alert and aware, like okay, you know these really are the end times. I mean, look at look at what's going on, right? And I think Chris actually has um, several current events, but so I might just turn it over to you if you don't mind. Yeah, and this is kind of open, so like if you guys want to add anything, go ahead. And if you guys have questions, you know, go ahead and send them in or raise your hand. And we'll try to find you in the dark, but. Um, you know, one of the things I was just kind of thinking as I was looking at these articles was, so, you know, we have a mantra in this world where you don't break things, uh, you don't fix things until they're broken, right? So really when you're talking about kind of the, the government world systems that we have in place, usually you're not going to, as a world as a whole, we're not going to be looking to fix things until there's some sort of catastrophe that's worldwide that warrants people thinking like, well, what we have right now is not working. We need to try something different. And I, I think the European Union really, if, if you did some more digging, you'd probably find that, it, well, and just by the time period, you can tell it was directly formed or started to form in relation to World War II because it was like, we can't let this happen again. Right. You know, we, we, need to, we need to be on the same page. We need to form a, a big enough response force so that you know, if anyone gets this bright idea to try to take over the world again, we have the proper things in place to prevent it, you know. And so I think over the last two years, what you've seen are two similar things um, that have got people kind of thinking along the same lines. The first being COVID, um, you know, whether you think it's a pandemic or not, the rhetoric that's going around the world is this horrible thing and we can't ever let it happen again or we have to respond better than we did because in essence, we didn't respond well enough. And so one of the interesting things I read along that lines was a, a 
like an international joint call between 25 heads of government and international agencies uh, by the World Health Organization or the WHO, you know, basically somebody that had a lot of say in how uh, countries were to respond, you know, to, to that pandemic. And they had a, a meeting here in 2021. Um, the art, this is on the WHO website, basically, and it says global leaders unite an urgent call for international pandemic treaty says the international community should work together towards a new international treaty for pandemic preparedness in response to build a more robust global health architecture that will protect future generations, world leaders said in a commentary published today in several newspapers around the world. There will be other pandemics and other major health emergencies. No single government or multilateral agency can address this threat alone. The leaders say in their article, the question is not if, but when together we must be better prepared to predict, prevent, detect, assess, and effectively respond to pandemics in a highly coordinated fashion. The COVID-19 pandemic has been a stark and painful reminder that nobody is safe until everyone is safe. The main goal of a new international treaty for pandemic preparedness and response would be to foster a comprehensive multi-sectoral uh, approach to strengthen national, regional, and global capacities and resilience to future pandemics. This is an opportunity for the world to come together as a global community for a peaceful cooperation that extends beyond the crisis. According to the article, the treaty would be rooted in the constitution of the World Health Organization, drawing in other relevant organizations key to this endeavor in support of the principle of health for all. The, now, the key there is it would be rooted in the constitution of the World Health Organization, because the underlying uh, assumption there is that that means that whatever they say overrides whatever individual country says, you know, like they're the ultimate authority. So basically, in essence, it's like we need to come to some sort of conclusion where we're going to basically let this organization that we create or this treaty be the final say in how we respond. And everyone's going to agree to that. Okay. So in essence, it's handing over the power to one one place or one entity, one unified organization one unified government so those are the type of things that people are talking about now as a result of covid that need to be in place before anyone even is willing to you know as the whole world as a whole hand over all authority to some governing kingdom or some governing empire that's kind of you know basically got the ultimate say on how everyone does things or whatnot you know we talked about this a couple months ago this this move from nationalism to globalism, you see it ever increasing by the day. And, and, and I think the second thing that has kind of led to this or is increasing that talk is the war in the Ukraine. Because up to this point, we had things like, uh, NATO, which was, you know, one of the reasons of that was to be a deterrent to any dictator that comes along and decides just to start invading countries that hey we've got an alliance here that's with some pretty strong countries and you better not do that because if you attack one of them we'll hit you with you know all we got and then the other thing was you know the kind of the world powers having a nuclear arsenal that would encourage um or discourage the use of weapons or wars because of the fact of you could assure yourself you're going to be mutually destroyed if you do anything. But what we're seeing now, because Russia's been able to do this, been able to kind of come into a country and a sovereign country and, and destroy it and, you know, 
you know, there's all types of things being thrown at them, like sanctions and stuff, but it ain't stopping them. Like now all of a sudden there's a lot of this questioning, like, well, are these organizations working? Are they enough? Do we need to come up with something different? And so you see discussions about uh, one interesting thing that I've seen, uh, and this was actually pre-Russian invasion of Ukraine, but is only being talked about to an even greater degree now. Um, Macron, who just got elected to a second term in France, when he first got elected, he was really a proponent of creating a coalition, a European army, basically, a coalition of, get this, 10 nations in Europe that basically would form their own treaty or army so that in, in the case of Russia or anyone else gets the bright idea to attack, they'd be ready to fight it and force it. They wouldn't have to rely on the United States or anyone else. It says here, this is from an article in May 2nd, 2018, French President Emmanuel Macron will bring together a 10-nation coalition of the willing of the willing next month designed to prepare European armed forces to take action together in emergencies and to bind Britain into military cooperation as it leaves the EU. Defense ministers of France, the UK, Germany, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, and Denmark and Estonia will sign a letter of intent in Paris in June, officials told me, pledging to develop a common strategic culture share analyses and uh, foresight on trouble spots that may require intervention and work to coordinate their forces for future operations. And then another article from BBC News, uh, November 6, 2018, along the similar lines, says French President Emmanuel Macron has warned that European Europeans cannot be protected without a true European army. Uh, he said Russia has shown it could be a threat and Europe has to be able to defend itself better Alone, That's only proven to be true since this article is written. Mr. Macron has already proposed a joint intervention force for crisis missions. President Macron has already warned that Europeans can no longer rely on the U.S. to defend them. So you kind of see this this movement. And uh, the last article I was going to share was just this, um, because I think one of the key things with any movement to, to globalize, to come together, is that the United States in some way is going to have to buy into that. We've been traditionally a very nationalist country where it's like, okay, first and foremost, we, we care about the United States. We'll help other countries, but, you know, like we're going to dictate our, ourselves what we do. We're going to run our own country and not let anyone else tell us what to do. And that's been changing. And and you see with the current administration, there's more and more of uh, – of wanting to be about the kind of a part of the countries that are talking about this globalization movement it says here, and this is a, from an article, April 1st, 2022 high ranking delegates have discussed setting up a new world order during the world government summit in Dubai, part of the United Arab Emirates. The summit comes after the world economic forum, uh, great reset initiative. It regards the COVID-19 pandemic as an opportunity to exchange national sovereignty for international governance. Their views are supported by U.S. President Joe Biden, according to published remarks at a meeting in March in Washington of the Business Roundtable Lobbying Organization. Biden used the term New World Order to speak about the Russian invasion of Ukraine and global changes. He said, and I quote, now is the time when things are shifting. We're going to, there's going to be a new world order out there and we've got to lead it and we've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it, he said. Um, his comments were music to the ears of WEF founder and executive chairman Klaus Schwab, who has declared the current system of capitalism dead, 
fact-checkers dismissed the Great Reset conspiracy theory. Still, Schwab made it clear in June 2020 that the COVID-19 pandemic should be exploited as an opportunity to advance the globalist agenda promoted by his uh, Davos conferences. He has pushed for proposals such as a worldwide carbon tax to redistribute wealth and shift sovereignty from nation-states to global entities. Schwab wrote that the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of all societies and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions and bring about a great reset of capitalism. So, um, yeah, I firmly believe that the United States in some way is either going to have to get in line with that kind of thinking or, which you're seeing them start to do, or something so catastrophic has to happen to come to our, our, our country, whether that's war or basically the economy crashing to such a degree that the dollar's worthless that basically we're not really a big player anymore. One of those two things to see something like this happen. But all that to say is, my main point in pointing that out is you already see the things happening. They're getting people to question the organizations that we have in place and and kind of move in that direction of like, we need to come up with something new. We can need to do things better. We need to solve the problem, you know, like with a different group of people in control and, and calling the shots. And everyone needs to understand that this this is what's going to make things better it's going to help us respond better to pandemics it's going to help us defend ourselves better it's going to bring you know peace it's going to bring global climate change and, and everything's going to be great all the, these are all things they're talking about that it'll solve so um we're not there yet i i'm a believer that you will start to see the formation of this 10 nation confederation this empire probably before the rapture happens and the reason i say that is because it says that the Antichrist is going to come out of it. The little horn's going to come out of it. And what I read out of the Second Thessalonians makes it sound like that's going to happen right at the beginning of the tribulation. So I think that that ten-nation confederation or that ten-nation empire is going to have to be somewhat established already for that to happen right after that happens. And, and there could be a lot of things that happen. That could, that could happen quickly. I mean, this is stuff they're talking about. It could happen you know, within a year, it could also take like 10 or 15 more years. We don't know for sure. And we'd be wrong to be dogmatic, I fully believe, to say how it's going to happen. But you see the shadow being cast over the times we live in now of these things that the Bible speaks about. You guys have anything to add to that? I, I have one quick thing to add. It, uh, you you kind of covered um, kind of a globalist push in the direction of health and also uh, potentially showing that as it's happening between the nations, specifically pointing out Macron in France. But there's also another push, uh, a corporate push, away from <laughs> away from t- traditional capitalism towards something called stakeholder capitalism, where um, basically people that are in a financial position force companies to do things uh, to sort of embrace uh, globalist or or climate change type it's in that vein uh, whether it's whether it's good for them financially or not they're going to implement um, uh, controls and policies that that uh, steer the company in a certain direction and uh, I most notably I think Larry Flint Larry Fink of BlackRock he's a hedge fund manager he came out and said well yeah we use our, we use our, our financial influence to force behaviors. That's what we're doing. Um, and so there, there is a, 
there is a push on the on the like the global multinational corporate world in that direction too. We sort of want to be going in this direction of 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 where the WF's going, you know. And so yeah, that's that's another leg of the stool, I think. I, so I throw that in. That's my two cents. When I hear of all all this stuff, sometimes it's just a little overwhelming. I'm just like, wow, yeah, it's crazy, man. Wow, I can't believe that. And it's just like we could we could probably read articles like this for for days, you know, of all these things. And it's like, well, why does it matter? You know, what what what's what's the point of this? And Chris said this earlier, but the I guess the what's our hope? Right? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And our hope is that what's the Lord's Prayer say? Um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And that's our hope. That's what I'm hoping happens. And as believers in Christ, that's what we should all be hoping happens very soon. <laughs> Amen? Amen. But before that happens, this is going to happen. And this one called the Antichrist is kind of the focal point of, of what that's is, is happening. The focal point of that last event before the kingdom of God comes. And that's his very, the very name Antichrist is literally means in place of Christ. And this reminds me that what Chris said earlier was that he can't come and be a ruler of the world until the world is united. This, this kingdom, this world, you know, organization has to be at least partway formed before he can just come on the scene and say, well, I'm the leader of it. And right now there's really not, there's not really a global thing that he can lead. But we see it's coming together. And I think this is the point of, at least in my mind, of like, why do I care about this? Is because the Lord is coming back. And his kingdom is going to be established on earth. This is happening. And um, also, in the same vein, is that this this one who is coming in place of Christ, he comes by the, the working and power of Satan, is what Second Thessalonians tells us. But he's a great leader. That's what it tells us in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. It says, in Revelation 13, um, verse 4, it says, Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? And so the whole world, I guess my point is this, is that the whole world is looking for leadership. Mm-hmm. Amen. The whole world is looking for for some type of leadership. And even in the United States, I feel like we're just looking for leadership. We're like, would someone just be a leader, you know? And our leader as believers in Christ is who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> we have a leader. We have a hope. We know where our future lies. But the rest of the world is searching, looking desperate for some type of leadership and i believe that's where this is all heading is everyone when this guy should when this global thing happens when this guy shows up they're like this is the guy this is our leader and that is where all things are going to kind of culminate but i think it comes with just in this desire for leadership that our world lacks right now so i just wanted to 
our fact checker said Isaiah 66, 8 is where it talks about the prophecy about um, uh, Israel being born in a day. Thank you, that fact checker. Give me handy. And she's the best fact checker in the world because <laughs> she uses the Bible to do swing fact checking. Swing and a miss on my part. <laughs> Did you have something to add? Uh, yeah. No. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to, I was going to, are we? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead and wrap it up. So, yeah. So I guess um, bringing this thing to a close, I think when you talk about prophecy, when I, mistakes I've made with it is getting spun up and anxious, you know, oh my gosh, it's in times, antichrist is right around the corner, you know, and getting like, you know, I guess losing, losing emotional control of ourselves. I think there's a benefit to being alert and aware and realizing that the time that we have is precious. The time that we have to pray and witness is precious, right? But, but to the point, what Eric was saying um, scripture declares that Messiah is coming. And scripture declares that Messiah will rule. And uh, so let me read to you Psalm 2. And I'm going to boil down just this last part here. Uh, this is Psalm 2, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. All right, now, this is de- the declaration up to this point that that God's anointed one, the Messiah, will be installed as king on the earth. But I want you to pay attention to this warning because I, uh, I think it's got some application for us. Um, both believers and, and unbelievers. So, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is kindled quickly. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So, the warning of the last, the last three verses is kind of where I want to focus. These, these kings that are in rebellion and perhaps the rulers of our day are warned. They've been put on notice. This, this has been in print here for thousands of years for them to read. The Lord's already told them what he's going to do. And so it's their responsibility to repent, to submit, and to worship God, right? That's, what, that's what's being laid out for them. Because uh, if you don't, he'll be angry and you're going to perish, right? We know that's not God's heart. Right? It says in John 3 that Jesus came not to condemn the world, but that, that the world might be saved through him. But just like, um, just like the parable of the, uh, um, I, I can't remember the name of the parable, but Jesus tells a parable where, uh, you know, the, the people send a delegation to this, uh, this faraway king and they say, we don't want this man to rule over us. And, and they've, when you reject when you reject the salvation that Jesus purchased at the cost of his own blood, you're bringing upon yourself uh, condemnation. 
not what he wants for you. But So what, what do we do with that as believers? Because we know that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we've, I mean, we've repented of our sins. We've said we need a Savior. We've agreed that we're going to submit to the Lord and, and we worship him. And, and that's good. Um, but I wanted, what I wanted to do is kind of dwell on this, this point of just submission where, where it says, uh, serve the Lord with fear, right? There's, there's always for, for believers. Now, this is for believers specifically. There's, a, there's always going to be corners of our life that we haven't given over to the Lord completely, right? And this isn't to make anybody feel guilty because that's not the way our God works. But um, I guess what he would say is, is not like a overcritical parent. Oh, you never do anything right. But he'd be more like, son, daughter, I want better for you. Let me have that. Submit to me in this so that you can be blessed. So for believers that are already saved, that have already repented, that already worship the Lord, that's the word I think I want to deliver for you to take home, the word of application of this whole study. Jesus is coming, and and you are saved, but, but man, let's be people that are just submitted to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. That's a good word. Hey, um, before we end, I, I want to answer a question. I, I'm just stoked that we're getting questions tonight, and these are good questions. So I don't want to leave this one hanging, but please don't send any more, otherwise we'll be late. But I want to answer this one because it's a really good one. This one says, do you think that God's patience in wanting all to come to repentance is related to the ability for the gospel to reach all ends of the earth? Do you think he's waiting until the gospel has reached the ends of the earth, like via technology, globalism? Absolutely. Because it tells us that in scripture, like, and I'll give you the verse, Matthew 24. This is Jesus talking about his return. His disciples were asking him. And so he's telling them the things that are going to happen that are going to be signs as we're getting closer to it. And he says, Matthew 24 and verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So it's going to come. But here's the thing. God's going to one step like your technology and stuff, okay? Because what it tells us is a cool thing in Revelation. Like even before all the, the plagues and the wrath come, it says in verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So if hearing it in technology and in everything we have now today, the internet wasn't enough, he's going to have an angel flying around the sky telling people, I am from God and he sent his son to die for you. You need to repent. You need to believe because his judgment is coming on this earth. So nobody's going to have an excuse at that point to say that I didn't know. All right, everyone is going to know, and it's going to be in such a blatant way. You can't say, well, I didn't know that was from God. It was like going to be an angel actually telling everyone. All right, so I think that's pretty cool because his desire is that none shall perish. He's not making it hard on anyone. He wants everyone to believe and be saved from their sins so they can be with him. So amen. All right, well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. I'll let Marcus do that, and uh, I pray you guys have a blessed night. All right. Well, Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you so much for your word, your word's truth. And Lord, your desire to change us, to transform our minds. And and Lord, ultimately to point us to your son, Jesus Christ, who you have appointed and anointed to rule and reign. And, and you said 
after he rose again to be at your right hand, uh, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So Lord, we know the day is coming when you'll come and receive the kingdom, when you will rule and reign from this earth. Till then, Lord, let us live. Let us live like we believe that's true. Let us live like we trust in you. Let us be in full submission to you, Lord. Let us be sensitive to sin and repent of it quickly. Let us live lives that are uh, bold in, in sharing the gospel and bold in demonstrating the love of Christ. And um, Lord, let us bring glory and honor to your name. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. We'll see you guys next month.